Hey guys, welcome back to Brooks Books. In this episode, I'll be reviewing Counting by Sevens by Holly Goldberg Sloan. And the featured author this episode is Beverly Clearly. I can't believe that this is the fifth episode of Brooks Books. It feels like I started this podcast three weeks ago. If it hadn't been for my mom reminding me all the time about editing and making sure the script is ready, I probably would have missed releasing the one for the Murphys episode. So thank you, Mom. And also a big thank you, I quote, to Tegan, my amazing editor, which I owe this entire podcast to. Anyways, time to get back to the book. Oh wait, I want to mention again that you can email me at brooksbooks13 at gmail.com with any book recommendations or shout out. And if you have any trouble with the email, because my editor Tegan was having some uh, complications with the email, but she also put gmail.com, so you might not have that problem, Tegan. (laughs) Anyways, okay, counting by sevens. Let's see. I really enjoyed this book and it inspired me every time I read this book to get into gardening a bit. I didn't really relate to that character that much because I've only ever lost a pet, but other than that, these characters were just so inspiring. I also love the storyline and the friendship throughout the book. It is now time for the summary. Willow Chance has been through a lot. She learned life that can be unforgiving and she doesn't have anyone to turn to, but when she meets her forever friends slash family, Del, her school counselor, May, her new best friend, May's brother, Kwong Ha, plus their mom. This was her family now, and she would do anything to protect it. If you notice here that the beginning of this summary is a lot like my Land of Stories summary. As you know, Holly Goldberg Sloan wrote this book, and she also wrote short, which I have a bit of a story for you. So, I was like in third grade, and I had short in my lab when we were driving to the a pancake's place because like we were driving on base to the USO um and they had like pancake uh night there where they serve free free pancakes it was great um and anyways I was annoying my brother and so much I was so I was reading my book and I was annoying him and then here comes Sawyer's fist right up to my nose he smashes my nose it starts bleeding so bad it gets all over the book I still have the book to this day, my brother had to go do uh, three days of library work during recess because, like, if you destroy a library book at the school, you have to do three days of recess at the, at the library, which, honestly, now that seems like so much fun because I love working in the library. I actually have the book right in front of me on this bookshelf in my closet, so it's still here and still covered in dried blood. I haven't, I've never finished short, ever. So, yeah, my first bloody nose, not that other people have punched me in the nose after that, but it was Sawyer. Back to the book. She also wrote Two Night Owl from Dogfish, The Elephant in the Room, I'll Be There, and a sequel called Just Call My Name. And uh, Apple Blossom, The Possum, Pieces of Blue, and Keeper, to name a few. I believe there are more, but that's all the ones that I could find. There are no add-ons to this book, and this is a one-book series. 
time for the first chapter. Chapter 1, Willow Chance. We sit together outside the Foster's Freeze at, at a sea green metal picnic table. All four of us. We eat soft ice cream, which has been plunged in a vat of liquid chocolate, then hardens into a crispy shell. That sounds like Dairy Queen. Um, anyways, I don't tell anyone that what makes this work is wax. Or to be more accurate, edible food-grade paraffin wax. As the chocolate cools, it holds the vanilla goodness prisoner. Our job is to set it free. I think I read that metaphor in another book. I don't remember what it was, though. Um... Ordinarily, I don't even eat ice cream cones, If I and if I do, I obsess in such a precise way to prevent even a drop of disorder. Literally, it was like that same thing in another book I read. I wonder what that is. I'll probably come across it again. Um, but not today. I'm in a public place. I'm not even spying. In my ice cream cone, it's a big, drippy mess. I'm right now someone that other people might find inter- interesting to observe. Why? Well, first of all, I'm speaking Vietnamese, which is not my native tongue. I really like that expression because, in general, I think people don't give the contracting muscle credit for how much work it is. So thank you, tongue. Sitting here shaded by the afternoon sun, I'm using my Vietnamese whenever I can, which turned out to be often. I'm talking to my new friend, Mai, but even her always surly, scary-because-he's-older big brother, Quang Ha, says a few words to me in their now only semi-secret language. Del Duke, who brought us here in his car, is quiet. He does not speak Vietnamese. I do not like to exclude people. I'm the one who's always excluded, so I know how that feels. But I'm okay with Mr. Duke being an observer. He is a school counselor, and listening is a big part of counseling. Or at least it should be. Mai does the lion's share for speaking and eating. I give, I give her my cone once I've had enough. All I know for certain, with the sun on our faces and the sweet ice cream holding our attention, is that this is a day that I will never forget. Seventeen minutes after our arrival, we are back in Del Duke's car. Mai wants to drive by Hagen Oaks, which is a park. Big geese live there live there year-round. She thinks I should see him. Because she's two years older than me, she falls into the tra- that trap of thinking all little kids want to stare at something like fat ducks. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate waterfowl. But in this case, the Hagen Oaks Park, I'm more interested in cities' decisions to plant native plants than I am in birds. I think by the look on Dell's face, I can see his eyes in the rear view mirror. That he's not excited about either thing, but he drives by the park anyway. Kwang Ha is slumped in his seat, and I'm guessing and I'm guessing is just happy that he did not have to take a bus anywhere. At Hagen Oaks, no one gets out of the car because Dell says we need to get to go home. When we first got to Foster's Freeze, I called my mom to explain that I'd be late getting back from school. When she didn't answer, I left a message. I did the same thing on my dad's cell phone. It's strange, I haven't heard from either of them. If they can't answer the phone, they always return my call. Always. There's a police car parked in the driveway of my house when Del Duke turns onto my street. The neighbors to the south of us moved out, and their place is foreclosure. A sign on the dead front law says, Bank Owned. To the north of the renters, who I have only seen once, seven months and four days ago, which was on the day that they arrived. I stare at the police car and wonder if someone broke into the vacant house. Didn't Mom say it was trouble to have an empty place in our neighborhood? But that wouldn't explain why the police car are in our driveway. As we get closer, I can see that there are two officers in the patrol car. 
and from the way they are slouched, it seems like they've been there for a while. I feel my whole body tense. In the front seat, Kwang Ha says, What are the cops doing in your driveway? Mai's eyes dart from her brother back to me. The expression on her face now looks to be a question. I think she wonders if my dad steals things, or if I have a cousin who hits people. Maybe I come from a whole family of troublemakers. We don't know each other very well, so these would all be possibilities. I'm silent. I'm late coming home. Did my, did my mom or dad get so worried that they called the police? I left them messages. I told them that I was okay. I can't believe that they would do such a thing. Del Duke doesn't even have to stop the car completely before I open the door, which is, of course, dangerous. I get out and head toward my house, not even bothering with my red rolling luggage that's packed with my schoolwork. I've taken only two steps onto the driveway before the door opens on the patrol car and a female officer appears. The woman has a thick ponytail of orange-colored hair. She doesn't say hello. She just lowers her sunglasses and says, Do you know Roberta and James Chance? I try to answer, but my voice won't come out any louder than a whisper. Yes, I want to add, but it's Jimmy Chance. No one calls my dad James, but I can't. The officer fumbles with her sunglasses. Even though she has dressed the part, the woman seemed to be losing all her authority. She mumbles, Okay, and you are? I swallow, but my mouth is suddenly dry. I feel a lump form in my throat. I'm their daughter. Del Duke is out of the car now, and he has my luggage with him as he starts across the sidewalk. Mai is right at his heels. Kwang Ha stays put. The second officer, a young man, then comes around and stands next to, his, next to his partner, but neither one of them speaks. Just silence. Horrible silence. And then the two police cars turn their attention to Dell. They both look anxious. The female officer manages to say, and where do you fit in? Dell clears his throat. He suddenly looks like he's sweating from every gland in his body. He's barely able to speak. I'm Del Duke. I work as a c counselor for the school district. I see two of these c kids for counseling. I'm just d d driving them home. I can see that both officers are instantly relieved. The female officer begins nodding, showing support and almost enthusiasm as she says, A counselor? So she heard. I found enough of a voice to ask. Heard what? But neither police officer will look at me. They are all, they are all about Dell now. Can we have a word with you, sir? I watched Dell's sweaty, wet hand released from the black vinyl luggage suitcase, from the black vinyl luggage handle, and he and he follows the officers as they move away from me, away from the patrol car, and out to a still hot pavement of the street. Standing standing there, they huddle together with their backs turned, so that as I watch, they look lit by the low end of the day sun, like a three, like an evil three-headed monster. That's what they are because their voices, while still muffled, are still capable of being understood. I clearly hear four words. There's been an accident. And after that, in whispers, comes the news that two people I love most in the world are gone forever. No, 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 no. I need to rewind. I want to go back. Will anyone go with me? And don't worry, um, you can probably tell that, um... It was like fast forward, but don't worry, it goes back to back in time on the second chapter, so you figure out all of it. Um, before we go on, go on to our featured author, I want to mention that this book was so good that it was a Battle of the Books book last year, so that's how I found it. 
Anyways, now time for the featured author, Beverly Clearly. Some of you might have thought of Beverly Clearly's Ramona series when I said her name, and you are right. For those of you who don't know what the Ramona series is, it's an eight-book series about a girl who's very mischievous. I read this entire series when when I was about seven years old, and I loved it. There is also a movie for the first book of the series called Beezus and Ramona, and there's a TV series called Ramona. Other series from Beverly Clearly are the Henry Huggins series, the Ralph S. Mouse series, and the Laybot series. She also has some picture books that I don't really know the titles of. Um, she was born on April 12th, 1916, and she died last year. Some of you might know this if you watch the news, but she died at age 104. She's the oldest human being that I can think of. Oh my gosh. She was married to Clarence Clearly, and her parents were Chester Bunn and Mabel Bunn. Mabel is such a pretty name. I love that name. Um, Beverly was an only child. Uh, she lived on a farm in Yam Hill, Oregon. Ugh, yams. I'm allergic to sweet potatoes slash yams, like, severely. Like, throw up for, like, an hour straight unless I have an EpiPen. So, don't like that. <laughs> um, and she lived there as a child, and she moved to Portland, Oregon, and uh, when she was adult, and then she moved to California for inspiration for her books. She also won the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award in 1975. She had two kids named Malcolm Clearly and Marion Marion Clearly. I also like that name. Um, she had three grandchildren and one great-grandchild. Well, that's all for Beverly Clearly. Thank you so much for listening, and remember to email me at brooksbooks13 at gmail.com for book recommendations or shout-outs. And my email is in the episode description. Bye!